Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Catholic retailers, business owners, and ministry leaders. Don't miss the Catholic Marketing Network Momentum 2019 event. Attend seminars that teach how to apply best business practices to any kind of business or ministry. Experience one-of-a-kind networking opportunities and browse the trade show exhibit hall full of Catholic resources and gifts from all over the world. Visit catholicmarketing.com trade show page to find out how you can be a part of this event that helps Catholics build personal and professional momentum. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. This is Chuck Coughlin setting the record straight on breadboxmedia.com. Come a small way back in time with me to 1953. I'm sitting in the parlor of my grandfather's house on 6th Street in Lexington, Kentucky. The windows are open. The summer air respires through the windows. My grandfather's sitting in an easy chair, smoking a cigar, leaning against his radio. His radio in a large wooden case. Yes, radios were often an impressive piece of furniture in those days. And what we're listening to is the Hit Parade. The Hit Parade was a weekly show that played the top 10 songs of that week, measured by record sales. It was a program we listened to often. And the music that fed his civilization mentality to a T was that top 10 song, number one song. Granddad and I both liked classical music too. He played it on the piano and I played it on the piano. It was a very common thing for everybody to play the piano. I'm talking about popular music. The term was popular music and it was popular with a great majority of the population. We shared the same sensibility in music, in popular music, across a gap of 80 years because it wasn't a gap in those days. People of all ages belong to the same civilization the same civilization. It was delicious. Things had always been that way. Sure, there had been revolutions in music, but those were rare, infrequent, and gently done. But nothing like the atomization and stratification of tastes that has occurred in the last few years. One piled upon the other like a wedding cake. That unity in tastes and artistic matters cut across living people of all ages that shared perception had gone on for millions of years, not just a few years, millions of years. My grandfather and I had no idea of the complete change, the end of a civilization and the birth of a new one, if it can be called a civilization. I suppose it must be. 
In a way, civilization was about to end, and we didn't know it. There was a cultural unity. It was common. It had always been that way for millions of years of human history. It had been the same. And the 16-year-old boy I sat there was also my number one song. It was everybody's number song. There was no separation of music by generations. We didn't think of generations. We thought of ourselves as a long civilization. The idea of something called a teenager was a very new idea. It emerged in the 1940s. It was sort of a place in between childhood and adulthood for people of an age that used to be considered young adults. Shoes should take up a burden of responsibility. We were all part of one culture because it had been like that for millions of years, with people of all ages identifying with the same music. Then, in the early 60s, we would start to feel a separation of different age groups, and they started to identify people by generations. A number of sources have compiled a list of generations. Let me give you an idea. Here's a list. The Lost Generation, birth starting in 1890 through 1915. The Interbellum Generation, between the wars, the two world wars. People born from 1901 to 1913. The Greatest Generation, that fought World War II. They were born from 1910 through 1926. Then the Silent Generation, 1925 to 1945. I'm in that group. Baby Boomer Generation, 1946 to 1964. Generation X, 1965 to 1979. What's sometimes called the Xennials, 1975 to 1985. Then Millennials, 1980 to 1994. Generation Z is the newest generation to be named. They're born between 1995 and 2015. They're currently about 4 to 24 years old. There's about 74 million people in that group. It's a large group out of our population of 360 million, 74 million. My reaction to that list is that the word generation is used loosely because in the first four identified generations, lost generation, interbellum generation, greatest and silent, the term had a whole different meaning. It really meant generation. 30 years or more. Time to create a family and raise children, to regenerate a generation. Children are born every year in a steady pace. So the whole thing is artificial, but, but I have something very serious that studying it that way will reveal. Something very serious. And you'll see. Well, let's talk about one aspect of culture, music. I want to say something about music. It's unique among the arts, more powerful than any other. Plato maintained that the arts as a whole could shape one's character to a great extent. And for that reason, they needed to be strictly controlled in his, in his ideal utopia. He described a more perfect world. The work is called the Republic. And in it, the arts are controlled. Plato thought the most dangerous art was music. Because music goes directly to the heart, not through the reason and causes you to feel and teaches you things that are ineffable and difficult to put into words teaches you attitudes how to love, how to hate how to fight, how to rest how to be at peace Plato was basically saying music is dangerous sort of like books good books are beneficial but there's plenty of books that aren't good 
in the wrong hands, they can have a deleterious effect. Now, formerly, the word generation was defined as all the people born and living at about the same time. The average period generally considered to be about 30 years, during which children are born and grow up, become adults, and begin to have children of their own, about 30 years. Well, we could see from our list, starting with the lost generation and ending with Generation Z, that as we came forward in time, we went from 40 years or longer formerly, and now are down to just a few years. Generation Z is 17 years. So we've sort of moved more rapidly in declaring generations. Actually, I'd like to point out that the whole idea of the definition of generation is, doesn't mean a great deal because the lost generation, the interbellum generation, the greatest generation, and the silent generation all belong to that civilization that seems to have faded and died around 1964. And everything since seems to be the stratified by age sandwich where people are grouped by their age. And there's a great emphasis on peer groups. And peer groups is defined people of the same age. Well, that's ageism. The chess master, who is seven years old, and cares nothing about sports or grunge music, may not find a peer of his own age. Very likely, when he finds one, might be 20 years old, might be 40 years old. So it's a very narrow definition of what a peer group is. To group it by age, we encourage parents that their children must have peer group socialization. Well, that's not always a good thing. If you really examine the culture of their age peers, you may find it's rather destructive. Let's examine the last few generations. Examine the content of their culture. Baby boomers, millennials, Generation X, Generation Z. The music, the arts, the films. See, it's riddled with profanity, pornography, pessimism, violence, and an extraordinary overuse of certain obscene words, MF and F, in every sentence. What kind of culture is that? And an attitude towards those who are a little older that borders on hate and rejection, kind of an age xenophobia. Perhaps we've gotten used to it. It's so common to us. It's so common to us that we don't see it as the strange phenomenon that it is. That scene in that parlor back in the 50s was common then. It was the way things were. It could happen today, but it would be exceptional. That's the way we were, not the way we are. To this cultural condition in which we find ourselves just happened inevitably by what might be called progress, or we just drifted into it? Was it caused by wartime or peacetime? No, something quite different happened, and people will deny it because the devil's greatest tool is that he doesn't exist. And there is a devil at the heart of it. But where we are is a result of a well-executed plan, a very subtle plan. Our old culture did not die. It was assassinated. And it's not a conspiracy. Much too bold and publicly done to be a conspiracy. It's a worldwide phenomenon, very much in sight for those that have eyes to see. The tool of this cultural assassination is very subtle, like a little lever that is inserted underneath the church and family. Church and family, the primary armature support structure of a healthy culture. It slowly tilts, tilts and topples civilizations. What is it? Well, it's in the grand tradition of Caesaropapism, government wanting to control religion. This became particularly notable in the Kulturkampf, the culture war between Otto von Bismarck in around 1848 and 9, 
in Popeyes the Ninth. When Bismarck, tired of the parochial schools shaping the minds, shaping the cultures, the hearts of his young subjects, grabbed control of the schools and created public schools so that he could indoctrinate the youth. And this is the subtle lever I'm talking about. Public schools. Public schools have public schools are the principal tools which broke our culture into segments, gens at war, not understanding each other and excluding each other and demeaning each other. Individuals against families, families against country. I know this is, this may sound like a bold statement on my part, but stick with me. There was a tremendous culture war and Bismarck eventually retreated somewhat, but he had laid the groundwork that emerged again in Hitler's time and made possible a completely secular atheistic approach an imperialistic power to threaten the earth. I know many will be offended, but it is the public school. Let's go on with it. Who else did inspire to create public schools? Well, the Marxists, the Trotskyites, the Stalinists. And once again, they went to war on Catholic schools. That was their first step, and it was to become always their first step, the schools. That's what happened in Poland. Do you know the story of Cardinal Menzeni? Stalin didn't roll into Poland with tanks and and armies. He didn't do that. did something more subtle. It's a culture war. He took over all the Catholic schools, which comprised practically all of the Polish schools. Slowly, one by one, it was opposed by Cardinal Menzeni, who hired a truck and went around with a bullhorn, standing up in the back of that truck, making speeches from village to village. Don't let him take your schools. Don't let him take your schools. Ultimately, they arrested Menzeni for this and imprisoned him and tortured him for years before he was finally able to escape to the American embassy. Cardinal Mancini is on his path to become a saint. He's blessed at this point. One function in the public schools is the stratification of people into age groups. Everyone of the same age is put together in a peer group, so-called peer. Children are grouped by age, ruthlessly by age, ageism. I'm aware this may sound like a bold proposition. I hope you're used to my bold propositions. The truth behind this proposition is well known to any real student of history of the last two centuries. Where did the idea for public schools come from? And what was the motivation behind their creation for the government controlling the education of our children rather than the parents and the religions control? Well, it started with Otto von Bismarck and continued with the Chinese communists whose cultural revolution, which you may well know, involved taking the children away from their parents and putting them into public schools, essentially into public schools. They called them re-education camps, and all the children were kept together by age. They were not only geographically distant from their parents, but they were taught to disapprove of everything about their parents and their culture and their religion. So venerable in that great country of China was declared politically incorrect, communist politically incorrect. Any small offense on the part of the parents, the parents' own child would turn them into the government. The punishments were exceptionally severe, and children did turn their parents in. When the project was finished, and it is finished, and it is finished today, the communist government was now the parent of the child. All natural parental rights were abolished in China, in communist China. The government is the parent, not the parent. We've gone very far in that direction in our own country. 
It was done by taking over the education, by creating a vast system of government education of the children, re-education camps. In country after country, for dozens of countries, this pattern was repeated in the 20th century. It was done by Soviets. It was done by Chinese communists. It was always the same. Take over the schools. Get them away from the churches. Get them away from Christianity, from Buddhism. The thoroughly atheist secular schools, of course, teach sex education, abortion, the usual menu of disreputable beliefs. It happened in Mexico. In the 20s, Mexico was taken over by a Trotskyite government under Cayus. It was also Masonic and virulently anti-Catholic. And the first thing they did was to confiscate the Catholic schools and impose the usual atheistic culture, the usual things, sex education, free love, homosexuality, abortion. Well, the Catholic parents weren't having any part of it. That created Cristeros. Like the Knights of the Golden Age, the parents became warriors, soldiers of Christ. In the Cristeros War, there were 60,000 deaths, mostly on the Catholic side. From the period of this war, there are some photographs that are very grisly. One is of a boulevard, and you're looking down the boulevard. There are lampposts ranked on each side, with a Catholic parent hung till dead, hanging limply on each one. Ultimately, the United States and the Pope intervened, and, and they were able to achieve a sort of temporary peace, but they had to give up many of the Catholic rites. During that period, every priest the government caught, they killed. A small number survived by escaping to the United States. There's a movie about this, For Greater Glory, to say nothing of Graham Greene's greatest novel depicting this period. The concept of the public school was introduced into the United States in much the same way with the same spirit by a man named John Dewey, an atheist philosopher. President Grant had wanted to have public schools because he felt like all the children of the United States ought to be educated in the same history, and perhaps we could avoid another civil war. Eventually, our public school system was born and it's growing all the time and becoming more and more centralized under the federal government, which has dictated a series of very disastrous fads to occur in schools, such as open schools and busing. Any Catholic parent that sees the history his child is being taught in public school would be horrified, is virulently anti-Catholic, and is really just slander. Once they've given you money and they hold a mortgage on your school buildings, Washington controls you. And it's growing and growing all the time. But the reason for it has always been to re remove that separate influence that the church represents. Why are Catholic universities so uncatholic? Why was there a coup at Catholic University overthrowing the traditional Catholics with leftist secularist agnostics? Why is academia so far left in this country? Well, a lot of people attribute it to the Frankfurt School and to Derrida and, and to the deconstructionists who came to the United States less than a century ago. It had such an immense influence on our culture by educating our most gifted children in a way that made them leftists and secularists. It produced what we now call the culture elite, who are so far left. It's a common story. I don't have to convince anybody. You send your child to college, and they end up a liberal atheist or agnostic. Very common. Sometimes they straighten out later. Sometimes they don't. It's an attempt to overthrow this country. That was the Frankfurt School's very public goal. This has gone on country after country 
After the Second World War, 32 countries fell into the communist schemes of the Soviets and the Chinese. It was always done the same way, by taking over and isolating the youth. Alienating the youth is their greatest weapon, not only from their parents, but even from each other. The simple trick of peer groups, based on age rather than true peers, that Marxists have used to conquer most of the world. We've seen things move back the other way. Poland is again Catholic and again has Catholic schools. So at this point, many of the countries that were formerly socialist or fully communist are modified or are no longer in that group. Here's the stats on that. The most blatant communist countries are five, of course you know them. Vietnam, Cuba, North Korea, China, and Laos. There's a longer list of former communist countries. They're still somewhat communist, however. The list is 35. There are nine countries that have a constitutional reference to socialism, a dedication to it. 16 were formerly very much like that. There are five unofficially socialist states. There are countries dominated by socialists, but have multi-party systems, but are governed by socialists. There are 30 countries. A prominent Chinese general wrote a book about 10 years ago outlining their strategy. It's a very public strategy by which China will take over the world. And of course, their chief obstacle is the United States, and they're devoting a great deal of energy to taking down the United States. We'll see that in the next election and the cyber war that they unleash against our election system. We should be ready for that. Here's how this Chinese general described the three strategies for world domination. The first strategy was the culture war. The culture comp all over again. Take over the cultures. Take over the music. Introduce ideas in the music that break down the morals of the youth and isolate them one from the other. And especially from those older than them. In other words, infiltrate the media. Write depraved songs and declare it a product of this generation, of Generation X or Generation Y, when it's not. The music was written by adults who did it in order to seduce them created it in order to seduce them. An old joke is that the Catholic Church should buy the media and fire them. Oh, if only we would. We have the bucks. The second strategy is the information technology strategy, the IT strategy, the cyber warfare, which is well underway with China has millions and millions of hackers putting out malware in systems around the world. A lot of this is already in place in our grids, in our vital systems. They just have to turn the switch and we're done. It's like a system of buried bombs, landmines ready to explode and it's everywhere already. The last stage, the third stage is called kinetic war and it's conventional warfare with planes and armies. And they know they don't have to do that. They will if it comes to it. And they're building up for that too, as we know, with their massive bases in the South China Sea. But the strategy that most concerns me in this podcast is the first, because we should not go willingly to the slaughter in isolating our children with people of exactly their own age and then having music introduced to them that they didn't create, but has been created in order to seduce them into immoral lifestyles and beliefs is what is being done. The Pied Piper is leading them and our children are vanishing. It's been done with grunge rock, the nastier rock and roll, hip hop, Wrapped. I'm sure I don't have to explain this to you. And I apologize for 
skipping from topic to topic. In future podcasts, I'm going to bore down more deeply on many of these subjects I already have on the Culture Comp. But I wanted to condense everything into this one podcast in which I skip lightly from subject to subject. I could make a more convincing case with each of the discussions I brought out. But that would take more time, and I will have more time in the future. By the way, have you had a look at the art and the music and the drama that is produced by Communist China? It's ghastly. It's lifeless. Peculiar. But let's not compare that to our popular art. Let's compare that to our high art, the high art of Catholic Doom. What about the most elegant art of the cultural heights of Catholic Doom? Catholic Doom created soaring magnificent in architecture, paintings, sculpture, music, literature, food recipes, liqueurs, cheeses. It goes on and on. No culture in the world, in world history, anywhere in the world, comes within a great, great distance of the magnificent heights to which Catholic high art was raised up by God. Just take the Catholic composer, Christoph Fiedemann Gluck. Gluck was more than a man. He was an instrument that God played through to speak to us, to raise us up, to give us the grace of these elegant feelings, to shape how we live and move and feel. Pope Benedict XIV made him a knight of the golden spur of the Catholic Church. Christoph Willemar Gluck. Feel God touch you through his music. You're hearing his little introduction to an aria. And God love you. Let's hope that you can participate in a lovely civilization so that you can become part of the recreation at every moment of that civilization with God's most elegant feelings flooding from your heart like light does from a star. This is Chuck Coughlin on BreadBoxMedia.com. May God bless you. Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.